Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Melissa Parrish. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by Vice President and Principal Analyst Peter Ostro to discuss how revenue enablement leaders and teams can use AI to help their organizations succeed. Welcome, Peter. Thanks very much. So before we get into the, the meat of this conversation, Peter, I think it'd be helpful to just kind of level set on what do we mean by revenue enablement and how is that different than, say, sales enablement before we, we get into the AI part of this combo? Sure. Thanks, Jen. Revenue enablement is a successor to sales enablement. Um, the latter has been around for quite some time as organizations grew their support of customer-facing, quota-bearing sellers. Uh, beyond just training, beyond just content or methodology or communications, what we've seen over the last few years is most organizations, in fact, 90% of organizations, um, enable more than just quota-bearing sellers. They're enabling customer success folks, customer engagement folks. They're enabling people who are solutions overlays, solutions engineers, field marketers. And the reason it makes so much sense is because if we think about an outside-in business model where what our customers experience is the most important thing to us, it makes sense because that way customers don't feel as much like they're being handed off from department to department to function to function. They have a more smooth, seamless experience as they move through the waterfall, become a customer, hopefully become a repeat customer and a reference customer. So revenue enablement is the official term that Forrester adopted earlier this year. Most of the industry is there. Uh, the Sales Enablement Society is now the Revenue Enablement Society as an example of one of the many communities that are involved in the space. I would also like to ask you a question that is sort of about for those of us who have seen all of the news about generative AI and AI and chat GPT and what all these tools are, et cetera. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you have undoubtedly already heard that Forrester is uh, quite bullish on generative AI as a technology. We do believe that every function and every role can benefit from it. Um, so sort of a, a double-barreled question for you, Peter, if you don't mind. Early on in your report, you note that adoption from revenue enablement leaders has been um, pretty low, and I'd like to know why that is. But maybe before we talk about why the adoption is so low, can you tell us about the tools we're actually talking about here? Um, are, we, are we talking about like revenue enablement leaders going to chat GPT and entering in a bunch of customer information? Because that sounds pretty darn scary. It does, and we're generally not. Although, to your point, Melissa, I think anyone who hasn't just gone out to the public open AI chat GPT and just started playing around should do so. Um, it's the easiest way to get over that little hesitation that we all have because it is safe to go and use it uh, just for generic things like finding a recipe or what's the best way to travel from point A to point B or why are the Patriots so bad this year? What we're talking about from a technology standpoint are actually four different options. Option one is what we're all familiar with through the media for the last year, which is the OpenAI ChatGPT. It points at the internet and it learns from every single user. It is not safe. It is not secure in terms of putting anybody's private information or somebody's customer's information into there, and we should never do that. But it's a fantastic way to just learn about what the capabilities of generative AI are. The second instance is a duplicate or replica of ChatGPT, but inside your corporate firewall. 
third option is when our organization builds something itself. And most of our organizations are doing that. Um, it might be uh, basics at the current moment where it's looking at our own public-facing website or gated web content and summarizing quicker than a human could or finding things better than a human could. Um, or it could be a lot more. We could all be embedding in our own offerings if we're a technology provider, uh, generative AI as well. Then the fourth option, and it's probably going to be where most revenue enablement leaders are advised by us to start, is to take what they already have in hand from one of the revenue enablement automation providers. The content folks, the training, learning, readiness folks, most of those solutions are combined these days. All of these providers now offer not just AI, they've done that for years, but generative AI components. The great news is you're already paying for it. I guess the bad news is you're already paying for it. And if you're not using it, you're overpaying and underutilizing like most applications. So that was a long answer to your first half of your question, Melissa. The second question was, yeah, adoption is pretty low. We only see 29% of organizations telling us that they um, have a strong progress at this point in understanding the potential value of generative AI tech for their enablement efforts. However, when we look at the high-performing sales organizations versus the low, they are 69% more likely to tell us that they're on board with it, which is great, but the, still, the numbers are fairly low right now. Why? They're a little tentative, like everybody else is. Enablement in too many organizations has been boxed into this reactive mindset, and we're hoping that this podcast helps them get out of that. So in general, do we see the that high-performing orgs who are more likely to adopt generative AI right now are also typically more likely to adopt new stuff in general? Or is there something about generative AI that has made it different at this moment? In general, they tend to be more forward-leaning. Obviously, companies in tech spaces and more profitable spaces tend to be a little bit more eager and willing. And obviously, anybody who is a tech provider is much more comfortable with it. Um, in general, yeah, we see high-performing sales organizations building more tech infrastructure um, in on the whole, and they're definitely leaping forward with the Gen AI piece. So maybe, Peter, we can dig into some best practices, right, that for leaders who are considering adopting generative AI to, you know, I don't know, get around some of the skepticism that we're, that we're seeing in the market today. Where do you want to start with those best practices? Surprisingly or not surprisingly, as an analyst, I have a list of six of them. Does it have an acronym? Uh, there is not an acronym. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to come up with one. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, five or six best practices to be thinking about. The first is, is not specific to enablement per se until we apply it to the enablement space. But the first is to think about not replacing your sales professionals, but replacing your interns whether or not you have interns, thinking about generative AI as accomplishing the easier tasks, the foundational and basic administrivia that all of us go through all day long. Our research has long looked into what percentage of B2B sales professionals' time is spent on core customer-facing, true selling activity. It always hovered around 24, 25% of their time, which is pretty awful. But believe it or not, now post-pandemic, it's down to 22% of their time. There's more noise, there's more fuss, there's just more static in all of our lives. And that's, you know, salespeople are, are less than immune for that. So when we talk about replacing interns and not sellers, we want to make sure that 
the true professional skills and competencies of a B2B seller, how to read a room, how to present, how to negotiate, how to build a buying community. These are all things that Gen AI certainly can't do. What Gen AI can do, and sellers and enablers can do this alike, is say, hey, Gen AI, here's a PDF from our prospect's website and our company's product list. Write me an email linking our most appropriate products to their most pressing needs. Or turn this email message into a social media post targeted at CTOs. Or look through our internal artifacts. Tell me which of our competitor services are most like or unlike ours. That's not hard work. It's just time-consuming work that you would hire an intern, paid or unpaid, to do. Second point is to keep your eye on your data lake. Now, this is kind of contrary to the advice that we've been giving to enablers for quite a long time. The sales content and sales readiness solutions that I referred to a few moments ago have been targeted specifically at sales users, revenue enablement, and also revenue operations leaders for years and years where we kind of keep the IT folks at arm's length. Now, I have to admit, we're kind of changing our tune. Now, while we don't want enablement professionals to become super duper experts in data security, data privacy, they do need to become a little bit more aware of and play more nicely in the sandbox with the technology management folks who are directly responsible for those components. What it really means is that when you point your generative AI, let's say through your, your revenue enablement automation solution at your own artifacts, it's more important than ever that those be clean, that those be up to date and current, that the quality of those artifacts and any customer data that's associated with those be ridiculously well governed. And what it also means as part of this idea of becoming best friends with your company's data lake is also thinking about the potential significant redirection of your budget. Enablement spends money on a lot of different things, and we're not talking about necessarily replacing people, but we're talking about, about redirecting the budget towards things like uh, better prompt engineering, better governance of the things that are in our, in our, in our data lake. So speaking of which, number three is to upskill revenue enablement. Um, our space has taken a lot of hits in the last few quarters, um, a lot of hits. The open to work uh, ring around people's photos and LinkedIn in our space is, is just ridiculously um, far too prevalent right now. Enablement folks have long been good at pivoting. And like anybody who has a great second act or third act in their career, um, this is an important moment to do that. This is a great opportunity because enablers already have this technology in their hands, they're already paying for it, to be less of the follower and be more of the leader inside their organization. And whereas the previous skill set that would create a great revenue enabler or an enablement leader involved training and course management and learning path construction and content best practices, those things are all important, but the machines can do some of that stuff for us now. So we need to make sure that we're as much as possible up-leveling enablement so that it becomes a leader in doing great enably things and then letting the machine rather than themselves do some of the grunt work at doing it. Number four, Jen, is to upskill everybody else. And for those of folks who are listening to the podcast who've been around the B2B sales space for a while, one way to think of this is think of the cadence that we've gone through over the years with some of the more, let's be polite, super tenured B2B sellers, the folks in our organizations who have generally killed their number most, if not all years. They've been around quite a while. They may not be embracing of change, 
But at a certain point in time, we got them to embrace computers. We got them to embrace CRM. We got them to start using mobile phones for work stuff. We got them to use social media. So prompt engineering is just the next step. It doesn't have to be this big, scary thing. It's just another skill that if they're wise, they'll become good at using the machines, whether it's what we have through our company secured access to chat GPT, whether it's through our own products or whether it's through the ones that we're paying for, hint, hint, in enablement, and they just have to become better at using those. Um, and then finally, we want to make sure that folks are um, aware of the kind of governance that's necessary in the space. A couple of great customer quotes from the revenue enablement automation providers that we got as we were um, looking at all their solutions this past summer. Um, with one provider, they created the typical sandbox that vendor briefings have, and they said, okay, Forrester analysts, go ask it a question that has nothing to do with enablement. So... I'm the smart aleck of the bunch. I'm like, what's the best ice cream? And it came back with nothing. And they said, there you have it, Forrester analysts. The killer feature is the non-answer. The fact that you could, in fact, control where it goes, what it looks at. Yeah. It also comes with great responsibility to quote Spider-Man. But, you know, one of the customers of these vendors said, I'm terrified of not being able to control the answers. You need to think about that kind of thing all the time. So those are some of the big signposts that we see for enablers moving into 2024 around how they can start to use and utilize and leverage this tool uh, for good and not for evil. So I want to pick up on that on that last point. I'm just wondering how much prompt engineering, understanding the context of your business makes or breaks the usage. It seems to me that revenue enablers still have to understand their own company, right? If you ask the wrong question, the answer is not going to help you. So what does generative AI not help revenue enablers with? I'll unpack that. I think what it doesn't help revenue enablers with are the strategic components of their craft, which is to, to your point, Melissa, to understand the ins and outs of my organization and create the equivalent of a 1,000 person, 24 seven staffed enablement help desk, right? If we had a thousand person enablement help desk around the clock for all of our offices around the world and every human being who needed anything from enablement could just physically walk over or just hop on a screen with this infinite number of revenue enablement helpers, we wouldn't need any technology whatsoever because they would all know their company inside out. They know where the skeletons are buried. They know where to go for this. They have the answers. They can answer faster than an FAQ document. We don't have 1,000 person help desks. So enablement leaders need to focus on the strategy, which is, What's the best way to help our people spend more time in front of their buyers? What's the best way to help our people get to their individual and group numbers as fast as possible? Any other mission or charter doesn't matter. That's all that matters for enablement leaders is to focus on their customers' needs, which is what we do for our own external customers as organizations. But another thing that you said calls to mind one of those little fears that people have with some of these machines, and it's the fear of being judged. Ultimately, um, it's all about people judging people. So the funny thing about these machines is that our comfort level has really, really evolved over time. We've all been talking to Alexa and Siri, and now they're both answering me, of course. Uh, so they're not that smart for quite a long time. 
it's now graduated. You know, here in my home, I have probably 20 things in my home that I can operate through Alexa. I'm now comfortable. I just set up Roomba to vacuum upstairs. It's a new map through Alexa just this morning. So the comfort level gets better and better. With Gen AI, as our CEO says, you're just speaking in human conversation to an enormous pile of data. That being said, I bet you most of us still use please and thank you when we're talking to generative AI. Well, you have to, because if the machines rise up, you have to be one of the good humans, right? Who's who's treated them with respect. I mean, come on. I want to be on the right team when that day That's happens. Right. Skynet is watching. So it's funny that that you know, but but when we apply that to revenue enablement, here's something that's actually available, a couple of things that are available right now in this space from the tech providers. So first of all, um, practice makes perfect. Talking about practice and in revenue enablement, there's always this conundrum with how much learning and practice of their craft should we expect, demand, or hope for from our sellers versus time in the field in front of buyers doing their job. I once commuted 45 minutes each way to and from work and would literally listen to my seller's recordings when I was managing a team. And it was helpful. It was good for them, helpful for me, and it used the commute time very wisely, but that's not scalable. So with these tools, of course, we've had with conversation intelligence for quite a number of years, the ability to not in real time listen to, but in immediate time, summarize what someone is saying did I use the word discount too many times in that phone call? Am I using the new corporate branding terminology properly? But that space has really grown from conversation intelligence to engagement and interaction intelligence. So now these tools, for instance, can be used in that sort of non-judgy, judgy way, Melissa, to be one of the voices in the room when, let's say I practice my one minute pitch a few times and I submit my favorite to my boss. I can now have a panel of my boss, someone from enablement, maybe a peer, and the machine judging me. And I can dial up or down whether that machine has half a vote, a full vote, or all the votes if we really want to get spooky about it. But we have control over that. Now, the other piece that's coming out when it comes to sentiment analysis reaches into this whole biometrics piece. There's actually a teeny provider out there that currently has in production for organizations a little widget that sits in the corner of my screen. And when I am having a video, audio conversation, a Zoom or whatever with a buyer, it will tell me not only if I'm talking too fast or saying the word discount too many times, but whether my tone is very monotonous or whether I'm extremely hyper and too excited or whether I'm leaning into the camera or my body language is not welcoming. So these are the tools that just scale what that thousand person mystery enablement help desk could do if enablement had unlimited human resources. That's the cool aspect of this. And just going back to the other example you were given, Peter, could you tune the generative AI or AI listener to be, okay, I'm in this industry, this size company, these are my needs you know, and then this is how I'm reacting to your pitch per se, right? So like really tuning it to your target or customer persona, ICP, what have you. 100%, Jen. And that's the cool thing. Even if we're just using ChatGPT to give us a better chicken recipe, you can keep going back at it and it doesn't get angry at you for coming back over and over and over again with the refinements. You know, take this um, presentation that's in Mandarin and turn it into an English PowerPoint. That's that, uh, you know, that's that's 17 slides. 
no, actually make that 24 slides. I changed my mind. You know, scope creep is no longer, right? Because the machine doesn't care how many times you ask it. So exactly to that point, Jen, it allows for sellers to be that much more targeted. And that's where this skill of prompt engineering comes into play. The better I am at guiding that enablement assist, the better I will probably get in terms of shortcutting to creating the best content, the best messaging, if I'm in enablement, to creating the best courseware and learning experiences for my sellers. Now, what would be really cool is when the internal tools that our companies build can be fine-tuned to um, to play the role of someone, of a real person in our company, right? So that I can say, I'm really sorry, Peter, I can't make it to your presentation, but here's my bot who is, who's going to have my proxy. So this weekend, Melissa, the famous 70s rock band Kiss announced that they had performed their last concert. All future concerts will be performed by their avatars. <laughs> I love it. So they will rock and roll, not just all night, but in perpetuity. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Role play has been around a long time, but it's always so subjective, right? Mm -hmm. The machine is not subjective and we don't have to be polite to it and it won't give us brownie points for saying please and thank you. I, I probably still will. George and I raised me that way. but. Uh, the, the thing about these role play opportunities is that it is infinite. And the interesting thing is if I had only had a 20 minute commute instead of a 45 minute commute, I would have done half of the listening and half of the coaching. That's not a problem anymore. There's an infinite amount of resources for these machines to listen, to coach, to guide, but are only going to be good as with any enablement technology ever has been as the administrative support and setup and governance behind it. That's probably where the calories are going to shift in enablement moving into next year and beyond. If they're smart, enablers are going to start focusing on how to guide and structure the machines, double down on their taxonomy, look at where those machines are pointing, and then let them do the work, and then double check to make sure the work is being done okay and not just let it run run for it, run free. As you've seen from the Forrester research, there's the four M's, right? We can have magic or we could have mayhem and we don't want the latter to happen. We were talking about obviously the beauty and all of the benefits, right, of this technology and how to incorporate it, having best practices, these sort of pillars to guide you along the way, but of course, things can go off the rail. And you mentioned this a little bit, Peter, throughout the the episode, but what are some of the top concerns or, you know, things that are top of mind, whether it's privacy or it's just the risks involved here of in incorporating the tech into your stack and ways of doing business. Jen, I think the biggest risk is that enablement is seen yet again as the purveyor of a toy, a tool, a technology. Um, hey, we just went down to Stop and Shop and we picked up a couple of gallons of AI and AI light. We're now going to make it available to you guys. That is not a successful enablement function. And, you know, this, this dramatic long-term shift that we hope to continue seeing in the space of enablers being seen as only the folks who are going to get me to my number faster and not the purveyors of tools, toys, or vanity metrics, that's probably the biggest thing that we want to avoid. Our tactical advice is to start thinking about it around three or four very specific things. And to look at it through the lens, the WIFM lens, what's in it for the sellers you support, who are really your customers if you're in enablement. So number one would be a seller wants you to help them, help me, the seller, with my efficiency 
and with my decision making. If I'm a rep, tell me which of my calls this week shows the deals that are most or least likely to close before the end of the month. If I'm the manager of that team of reps, which of my people needs my help? Which one of them is modeling the best behaviors for others? Or if I'm a B2B sales leader, chief sales officer, chief revenue officer, hey, I just invested a ton of money in our new sales methodology. Which of my teams is most adhering to that? I need to know these things. So help me with decision-making and efficiency, which saves me time and saves me uncertainty. That's a win for enablement. Number two, in a polite way, tell me what to do and how to do it. Show me what good looks like. And this is one of the things that you can do with these tools that are available now and the technology, homegrown or purchased, behind it. Um, These role play tools, like I said, can provide any kind of volume of feedback to get the messaging right. An astounding fact came out of one of these uh, vendor organizations. They said they've looked at thousands and thousands of the video role play sessions that their customer sellers have undergone. And the typical seller goes to three or four tries before they submit. Remember, these are people who only spend 22% of their hours on core customer-facing activity. They still find it valuable enough to hone their craft and perfect their craft to try three or four times before they do it. That's not subject to a manager's bandwidth because the machine has infinite patience and no judgment except for the way you want it to judge. Tell me what to do and how to do it with the biometrics, the gaze detection, which is not just where my body language is going, but where you, my buyer, you know, I could get an alert that says, Peter, you know, Melissa's on the other screen and she just looked down at her phone for three straight minutes. You've lost it, buddy. You know, get back on it. Um, And then finally, the sentiment analysis in this decade is a lot better than it used to be because it helps sellers overcome what we call deal goggles, right? It's completely subjective if I'm a seller as to why I'm winning or why I'm losing the deal. I win because of me, I lose because of the rest of you. And then number three, Jen, would be give me content, give me answers, give me insights. Let me be an insights-driven seller and sales organization. Give me tangible deliverables. If I'm a seller, and or an enabler, and I can ask the machine to locate the negative sentiment about this particular competitor who just I hate so much on Glassdoor or LinkedIn or G2, build me a battle card based on our go-to-market messaging. Or, you know, if I'm an enabler or even a leader, look at all of our win-loss analysis for this particular product line and give me a cheat sheet for all of my team's meetings next week. These are all potentially ways for enablement to really transform from the place where people dump their homeless projects and the peddler of software and other toys and tools to the folks who are going to help me get to my number and get to club. That's a win for everybody. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for joining us today and sharing your wisdom. Much appreciated. Happy enabling everybody. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.